In the business world, there are always an endless um, number of approaches to motivating the office worker. There's a whole new kind of uh, turn-it-on-its-head approach called the demotivational poster. Perhaps you've seen some of them. Spelling mistakes. Best to keep them discreet, it says. Mistakes. We all make them. Make sure yours aren't quite this obvious. Mistakes. Sometimes you just have a bad day, and the thought at the top is, those were the droids I was looking for. (laughs) This one's hard to see. It's a uh, one-armed man feeding a piece of raw meat to a crocodile. It says, learn from your mistakes, and and his. (laughs) And the last one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. And that, that seems to be the intent of the passage today in Deuteronomy chapter 1. That a new generation of Israelites would learn from the mistakes of the previous generation. And, and so would we. Um, you look at the very first chapter of the verses we looked at last week, we see that it's, a, it's an 11 days journey from Horeb, from Mount Sinai, by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. But in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people. So somehow, an 11-day journey turned into 40 years of aimless wandering. How did that happen? I mean, they were not just lost. They were for 40 years under the judgment of God. And our passage is a retelling of what is first told to us in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Listen to this description of the judgment that they were under from Numbers chapter 14. But truly, God says, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." This is amongst the severest of judgments that are placed upon God's people. It is, in light of that, a matter of life and death for this upcoming generation as they get ready to enter the land that they learn from the previous generation's mistakes. Now Moses is telling their story, the story of that previous generation, um, to this new generation so that they might learn from their parents' mistakes and they might be spared the judgment of God and instead walk in His favor in the fullness of all the promises He has for them. The same story is being recounted for us today for the same reasons that we might learn from their mistakes. So today I want you to listen closely to the retelling of their story 
so that we might walk in the fullness of God's pleasure and not experience his judgment. We'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 1. You can turn there in your Bible, starting in verse 19. Verse 19 says, We set out from Horeb, went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. So they're journeying from Sinai to the promised land. And when we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, says Moses. And I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us. Brought us word again and said, It's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So they are leaving a great and terrifying wilderness that they've passed through. Here's a glimpse of what that wilderness looked like. This is a picture from Mount Sinai. It's just a snapshot of that area. Um, Not a fruitful land. And now they are on the verge of a great fruitful land. The previous generation is getting ready to enter the land, and what they decided to do was send spies in, 12 of them, one from each tribe, Those spies spy out the land for 40 days. They bring back a great and glowing report of how amazing is the land that they're going into. Now, here's a recap again uh, from Numbers chapter 13, describing the same thing, the spies' report. They came down to the valley of Eshcol, cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they bring back grapes so big that a single cluster takes two men to carry it. Now, this is a big grape. But we're talking about really big grapes, okay? When we're talking about grapes in the promised land. So, so far, so good, right? Spies go into the land. They bring back a glowing report. um, But that's all about to change. Verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. And then I said to you, Do not be in dread or terror of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness 
where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. So you see, the full report that came back from the land was it was not just the grapes that were huge, so were the people. Okay. Think shack-sized people. Okay. Really large people. You could call them shackites. They are large. Um, and it struck fear into the, into the people's hearts. The cities were fortified up unto heaven. And Moses had warned them not to fear, not to be dismayed. Now he counters their fear with two fear-slaying images of their God. First he says, God is a warrior. He will fight for you. Verse 29, I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And one of the things that that has to bring to mind in Egypt is when, you remember in Egypt, uh, those ten plagues that came upon the Egyptians, and so they let God's people go out of slavery. They're fleeing. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He sends, you know, his army after them. They get to the edge of the Red Sea, and we pick it up in Exodus 14. The Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, And upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So Moses says that just as God was a warrior who fought for them at the Red Sea, so he will be a warrior for them and fight for them as they enter the promised land. He also says, God will be like a man who carries his son. In in verse 31, in the wilderness, he says, you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. In the desert, God met their every need miraculously. There was water that flowed from a rock. There was manna that came from the sky. God carried them, the imagery is, like a man, like a father would carry his son. Uh, What springs to my mind when I hear that is a guy named Dick Hoyt. You've probably heard of him. Um, Dick Hoyt has a uh, severely disabled son, Rick, and over the past 33 years, Dick Hoyt has pushed, pulled, and carried his disabled son, Rick, through more than a 1,000 road races and triathlons, including 
28 Boston marathons. Okay? That's the imagery of a father carrying his son. Here's another image just vivid in my mind. This is a Pakistani father whose son was injured uh, in a suicide bomb attack, and he's carrying him through the hospital. I mean, that is one of the most powerful portraits of a compassionate and powerful care. A man carrying his son. And Moses says, God is like a warrior for you. He'll fight for you. He's like a father for you. He will carry you. But in spite of Moses' pleading, they would not trust God. They would not go into the land. So in verse 32 in our passage, in spite of this word, Moses says, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. So Moses adds to this the imagery of cloud and fire, of God's supernatural guidance all along the way. God had guided them by cloud by day and a fire by night. His mysterious guiding presence had been with them. And still, they would not believe because of their fear. Fear is like that. It paralyzes your obedience because obedience is simply faith enacted. And that's why Moses warned them back before he even sent the spies. He said, do not fear or be dismayed. Fear is the enemy of faith. And it does its most severe damage to faith by raising questions about God's goodness, about whether he really loves and cares about you or not. It can sound something like this. If God loves me, why is my diagnosis positive? Why is my marriage so hard? Why am I still alone Why was I fired? Why was I overlooked? Why was I wrongly accused? If God loves me, why is this shack-sized thing in my way if God loves me? Eventually, this can devolve into the kind of um, twisted-up thinking that we saw in verse 27 where they murmured in their tents and said, because the Lord hated us, He brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. If you are not solidly convinced of God's love for you, just the fear of suffering and hardship will engulf your faith. Not even necessarily actual hardship and suffering. Just the fear of it. See, they had not even done battle with these Shackites yet. Most of them had not even seen them. Just the rumor that they were there, just the report that they were there, had enlarged their fear such that it dwarfed their faith. So just the thought, just the rumor of suffering and hardship can swallow up your faith if it is not solidly anchored in the love of God for you. And everything then gets all twisted up. See, what was intended as God's love for them is what they interpreted as God's hatred. We're going to read in just a couple chapters these words, this declaration of God's love. 
You are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, fear has caused the love of God to be reinterpreted and called into the question to such an extent in their lives. They weren't even saying God was indifferent to them. They were saying God hates us, and he has done this to destroy us. So it's good for us just to pause for a second and ask the question, um, are there things that you are afraid of that are raising questions in your mind about God's love and care for you? Are they chipping away at your faith? Are they slowing your obedience and making you wonder if it's really true that he loves you, if he really will care for you, if he can be trusted if you obey him? In those times, we must remember what Moses taught to the people. We must remember that God is a warrior who will fight for us, and he has. Almost without fail, God has healed you from sickness. Time and time again. Far more often than you have experienced it, God has delivered you from danger. A second earlier, that could have been you. A few seconds later, that could have been you. And you were spared. He has delivered you from sin. All those times you said no to temptation, that was God fighting for you. He is a warrior who will fight for you. He is a father who will carry you. When times were hard and you bore an unbearable load, he carried you. He sustained you. There is a wildly popular poem, which interestingly some say is rooted in one of Spurgeon's sermons, that captures this imagery well. It goes like this. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord, and many scenes from my life flashed across the sky, and in each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only the one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord simply replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints in the sand is when I carried you. Like a strong and caring father, he has carried us. And his great love is made undeniable to us in the sacrifice of his son. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Paul will write, Christ died for us. So can you see that? 
Can you grasp that? That God loves his people. That God loves you. Don't let your fears and disappointments rob you of that and of the trusting obedience that flows out of being God's beloved. See, this first generation that had come into the desert from Sinai failed to grasp that, and the consequences of that were most grave. Look in verse 34 in our passage. The Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry, Moses says, on your account, and said to me, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. See, they did not believe God's promises so they would now suffer the consequences of their unbelief. This is how 11 days became 40 years. This unbelieving generation, as a result, would not enter the land that God had promised. And unbelievably now, uh, with another twist, things are going to go from bad to worse. In verse 41, You answered me, Moses said. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord has commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, Say to them, Do not go up and fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, And you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. And then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. See, they have gone now from not believing God's promises to explicitly disobeying God's commands. So on top now of being sent away, sent back towards Egypt uh, on this journey, um, on top of that now they suffer a devastating military defeat as a consequence of their presumptive disobedience. And you, you can see how twisted up things have gotten for them. What God, how, when God has loved them, they say that he has hated us. And now... When God promises to go with them and to fight for them, they give in to fear, won't enter the land. But when God commands them not to enter the land, and they are without his promised presence, they think it will be easy and presumptuously go up into the land on their own. How twisted up is that? Okay. 
That's what sin and unbelief does to us. It causes us to make little of God so that we will not follow Him, and it causes us to make much of our own selves so that we run ahead without Him. So bottom line, I suppose, all that really matters is this. Is God with us? Is God with us? You know, think about it. Israel's military strength had not changed from when they wouldn't go in and then when they did. When they would have suffered victory or won a victory and when they suffered defeat. Their strength didn't come. The Anakim didn't get any bigger during that time. Um, The only thing that changed was God was not with them. And they took a beat down, it says. So as a result, they could not enter the land of promise. They could not, except for two men. Two men were allowed in, Joshua and Caleb. In our account, we read about Caleb. It says, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children, I'll give the land on which he has trodden because he has holy followed the Lord. Some of your Bibles say because he follows the Lord wholeheartedly. Another rendering is that um, he follows it with complete fidelity. Listen to, again, back in those accounts in the book of Numbers, how they describe what happened when the ten of the twelve spies um, turned sour on the recommendation into the land. The people were rebelling against God, wanting to go back to Egypt And the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, stand up to speak. This is what they say in Numbers 14. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were amongst those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. These are remarkable men. Let me borrow and tweak Kipling and put it this way. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust your God when all men doubt Him, yours is the land and everything that's in it and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Joshua and Caleb were men men of faith who trusted God when everyone about them was losing their faith. As a result, they are an exception and they are permitted into the promises of God because they trusted him and did not yield to their fears. There's another exception to this severe judgment, this banishment from the experience of God's promises in the land. Um, Do you remember what it was back in verse 39? God says, and as for your little ones 
who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So the little children are going to enter the land. You know where they are now, right? This is the little children from that previous generation. They are now grown up and are the generation standing before Moses hearing this sermon. They're in their 40s and in their 50s. They, many of them have their own families. And now they are standing before God faced with this great question. Will they learn from the previous generation's mistakes? Will they see the good land that God has given to them or will they see giants in the land? What will they choose? Faith or fear to drive their actions? And that's where we need to leave them and turn to us. Because we find ourselves here today also with a great pile of the promises of God for us, don't we? God has promised to never fail us nor forsake us. He has promised that He will give us a joy greater than when their new grain and wine abound. He's promised that if we will humble ourselves, He will exalt us at the proper time. All of the many promises of God Paul says, are made yes for us in Christ. So we have all of these promises. But we also have all of these fears. Fears about our health and about our bank account and about our job or the lack thereof and about our marriages or the lack thereof and about our children or the lack thereof. We have many things that press upon us and strike fear into us. And amidst all these fears and amidst all these great promises, the question is, what do you see? What are you choosing to believe? What will shape your course of action, your fears or your faith? Let's pray. God, be kind to us now. And don't let us stay in ancient history. Bring to each of us the fears that threaten our faith so that we can cast these great cares, real cares, on you, the great warrior who will fight for us, the caring father who will carry us, who has even given his son for us. God help us. We pray in that son's name. Amen. Let me invite you. We have an extended time of worship now in response if, as these songs unfold. God's been speaking to you, prompting you about an area of fear in your life that makes it difficult for you to trust God, where you have limited God and won't follow him Let me encourage you to come and cast that care. Symbolically, as you bow here at the front, cast that care on the God 
who cares about you, who has covenanted to be your warrior, to be your father. So let's stand. Let's worship God with our response.